Good morning. I got to warn you, I'm fired up. I'm ser- I'm fired up. You, you're going to clap now. You're not going to clap later. I'm serious. I am. I'm going to preach my brains out this morning. It really isn't saying much, you know, but I, but I do want to ask you, are y'all out there this morning? I'm asking you to make some noise. Yeah. Cause I, here's the honest truth. Nine o'clock was a powerful morning. And, and I, I want y'all to be here. Like, I don't believe there's such, such a thing as just showing up to church. It's easy to fall into that though, isn't it? We come because we came last week and we stop expecting God to move. But I believe God's gonna do something this morning. I believe God's gonna do something and you're gonna be asked to respond. At the end of the message, you're gonna be asked to respond. So I think sometimes messages demand that, right? And you're gonna be invited, some of you are gonna be invited to come forward and either make decisions to, to renew decisions that you've made, to receive God's forgiveness, whatever that is, you're going to be invited to respond. And I really want you to be preparing for that even now, right? That God will begin to open us up and, and we can really hear this word. It's not very, it's, it's not a new word, but it's an important one. And it's one that we easily forget. So even before I say anything else, y'all just pause with me for a moment. Let's pray. And I just want you to pray one thing is that God helps you to be here and to be honest. Can you pray that? Let me give you a few moments to do that on your own and then I'll pray for us and then we're going to jump into it. So buckle up, all right? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for who's here today. Who's in this room? I know it's not always easy to get here. In fact, it can be hard to get here sometimes, not, not just because of um, the fact that we're dragging kids with us, because sometimes we just don't want to be here. We'd rather be somewhere else. But I just want to thank you for the folks that you've brought here this morning. Lord, help us right now to be honest with you. Open us up, drop our walls. And Lord, I pray, I ask boldly that this morning you mess us up, that you tear us to pieces, that you put us back together. Rescue us from just going through the motions. Lord, give us a desire, a passion to want to know you, to want to truly know you and the life that you've offered to us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, let's get going. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't. I'm not actually from South Carolina. Okay, I, I am one of them Yankees. And here, okay, Yankees, make some noise for me. Make some noise. Okay, wow. Wow, we had like a dodgeball game or something. I think it'd be, almost sounds kind of even. Now, hear me when I say this. I've spent collectively almost eight years, I think, in South Carolina, and I love it. I love South Carolina. I love the South. The South has got it going on. In fact, I often try to claim Southern roots, right? People ask me where I'm from. I say, oh, South Carolina. My wife does not let that fly. No, you're not. You're not from the South. She's really protective over her southern roots. And I, and I get that. I'm from Indiana. Originally, y'all know where Indiana is? It's not Canada. It's in the Midwest, right? I'm from Indiana. And, and again, hear me. I, I think the South has got it going on. But I'll say this. There are two things I think the Midwest has on the South. Just two things. That's it. The first one is cream of wheat. Mm. I'm talking about like a normal bowl of cream of wheat against a normal bowl of grits. Now, hold on. I'm not talking about your fancy grits. 
right? It's not fair. Y'all put sausage and shrimp in your grits. and That's not normal grits. That, that is like food straight off the heavenly banquet table. We're going to be eating shrimp and grits in eternity. I'm telling you right now. I'm not talking about that because that's not even fair. I'm talking about a normal bowl of grits versus a normal bowl of cream of wheat. Cream of wheat wins every single time. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. I better let that one go before you run me out of here. The second thing the Midwest has on the South, and I don't think anybody will argue with me when it comes to this, it's the grass. The Midwest grass. We're supposed to clap for that. Okay, we can clap for that. Y'all are a rowdy bunch today. I like that. Some of the finest grass in all the world is in the Midwest. It's beautiful. Anybody driven through Kentucky before? They call it the bluegrass state. The grass in the Midwest, it is so green and lush. It like begs you to take off your shoes and socks and run through it. I mean, it's hard to find grass like that in South Carolina. In fact, my backyard literally is a sandbox with some fuzzy stuff in it. You have to go, it's hard to grow grass in South Carolina. In fact, my neighbor, I've lived next door to him almost two years now, and I've watched him put down sod about three or four times. <laughs> All he has to show for it is some really expensive dead grass, right? And if you want to grow grass in South Carolina, you've got to go through extreme measures. I'll never forget when I first moved down here to start attending the Bible college in Columbia, I was actually a student intern here at the church and uh, doing youth ministry. And, and a family invited me over for dinner. And when I pulled up to their house, the dad was out in the front yard with a makeshift flamethrower lighting his grass on fire. I'm thinking, where am I? And when can I hang out with that guy, right? But apparently this is a somewhat popular thing for people to do in South Carolina, particularly this time of the year. Here's a little science for you, right? Apparently when you, when you light your grass on fire, not only does it like burn up the thatch, you know what the thatch is? It's the dead grass that collects around the roots. It blew your mind, didn't it? And then all of the ash from the burnt grass turns into this fertilizer. So stay with me here. By killing your grass, you actually create the opportunity for the grass to grow back even better than it was before. The death of one lawn creates the possibility, the potential for a new, for a healthier lawn. There seems to be this sort of from death to life process woven into the very fabric of creation. And we're seeing it right now, the changing of the seasons, right? We're coming out of the dead of winter, which really isn't a, a fair word to use. It's another thing the South has, it, has up on us, right? Wasn't much of a winter, but things are still dead. But right about now, this time of the year, you begin to see signs of life. You begin to see a little bit of green popping up. You begin to see a whole lot of yellow, right? But you see, in order for there to be a spring, there first has to be a winter. In order for new life to come about, the old life has to die. Now, not only is this true about the world that we live in, but you know what? It's also at the very core, it's the very heart of our faith, the center of the gospel, this past week, we, we, we began the season of Lent with our Ash Wednesday service. It's a beautiful service. How many of you are there? Make some noise. Make some noise. It's a beautiful service. Trevor did a great job, didn't he? The whole team. Phenomenal way to kick off the season of Lent. I can understand that many of us, we're not, we're not familiar with, with what Lent is all about, but essentially it's a 40-day journey towards Easter Sunday. It's actually longer than 40 days. We don't count the Sundays because they're supposed to serve as these sort of mini Easters. So those of you that, that have decided to fast... Over the next 40 days, here's something maybe you didn't know. You can actually break your fast on Sundays and not feel bad about it. Somebody last service was like, I had no idea. Yeah, today, give up chocolate, eat some cake, whatever, right? 
but they're sort of to serve as these mini Easter's along the way. But essentially what, what Lynn is, it's, it's a journey towards Easter. Right now, but the only way for you and I to get to Easter Sunday is to first go through Good Friday. The only way for us to experience resurrection is first to go to the cross. I mean, if we're ever gonna experience the new life that's offered to us in Jesus, the old life first has to die. And that's really what is behind this whole Lenten season. I mean, it's why some of us have chosen to give up some things over the next 40 days. This is not meant to be just some sort of, you know, really simple act of self-denial. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Over the next 40 days, we deprive ourselves of something good so that we can indulge in something better. Really, fasting is meant to be feasting, but feasting on the things that matter, the presence of God, God's forgiveness and grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. So over the next 40 days, I gave up lunch. Monday through Saturday, I'm not eating lunch. Some of you are like, that's not healthy. Oh, come on. I've had plenty of lunches. <laughs> Probably more than I should. I'll be fine, okay? But, but really, you know, you know what I want more than lunch? Not that lunch is a bad thing. Lunch is a great thing, especially when you're buying, right? You know what I want more than that? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. So during, during those hours of the day, I'm carving out some time. I don't care how busy I am. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meet with God because I want that more. That's really what this whole season is about. And giving up something good to indulge in something better. And really what is behind this? And I hope you all want this. What's behind this is that when we get to Easter Sunday, it's not just about celebrating what happened 2,000 years ago. It's about experiencing the reality of it here and now in a fresh new way. I mean, do you want that? I mean, what if this Easter Sunday, something more happened than you just getting all dressed up and taking a family picture? What if this Easter Sunday you experienced life change? What if this Easter Sunday you experienced new birth in your life? Growth. I told you I want to hear from you this morning. What, what do you think about that? Does it sound good? Is that what you want? Wow. <laughs> Do you want that? Yes. That's what this season is about. And to help us with our Lenten journey, we're starting a brand new series today called The Way. And we're going to be parking in a real fascinating passage found in the Gospel of Luke. It's from Luke chapter 9 all the way to Luke chapter 19. It begins the passage that we had read for us this morning. But it's known as the journey narrative. And it's essentially Jesus's journey to the cross. But it's also something more than that, right? At least eight times in this passage of scripture, in these 10 chapters, the author reminds us of where Jesus is headed. He's headed to Jerusalem, which is essentially where the cross, where the crucifixion is gonna take place. Over and over and over again, the author reminds us, Jesus was headed for Jerusalem. Jesus was headed for Jerusalem. Now here's what makes this interesting. Right? He wants us to, to, to make it clear that everything that's happening, everything that's taking place is happening under this understanding that Jesus is intentionally heading towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. Now, here's why I think this is interesting. If you actually map out Jesus' travel pattern over those 10 chapters, he's all over the place. I mean, it starts in chapter 9. He's in Galilee and Samaria. It's up towards the northern part of the country. Right? And then the next chapter, chapter 10, he's all the way in Bethany, which is right next to Jerusalem. He's almost there, one chapter later. Then go, go to chapter 13, guess where he is again? 
He's back up in Galilee and around Samaria. So all the way back up north. So either, either Jesus is really directionally challenged or there's something else going on here. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, about what the Bible is before we actually get into this passage. The Gospels, y'all say Gospels. Y'all, y'all know how many we have, right? Four Gospels. These Gospels are actually what you call ancient biographies. They're a form of literature. It's really popular from the ancient world. And ancient biographers, when they were wanting to tell us about a famous person, often what they would do is they would take their life events, the things that they did and the things that they said, and they wouldn't lay it out necessarily in a linear fashion. Right? Here's the beginning, here's the end, here's everything that happened in order from, from life to death. They didn't do that all the time. Often what they would do is they would take these moments and these events and rearrange them and group them up in order to tell us something important about that person. So here, here's a way to say it. The gospel writers are less interested in giving us Jesus' itinerary and they're more interested in helping us understand Jesus' identity who he really is and what it means to follow him, which is why if you read the gospels carefully and you read them critically, which I hope you do, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice they share a lot of the same material, a lot of the same content, but it doesn't happen in the same order. And that's okay. It's because each one of the gospels are trying to tell us something unique about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. So many scholars argue that what Luke is doing here is he's taking many of the events and the teachings, these big moments of Jesus, and he's framing them under this journey to Jerusalem, journey to the cross, not to tell us so much about Jesus's actual journey to the cross, but to help you and I understand our journey to the cross. Essentially, this journey narrative, it's a picture of what does it look like to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to make the decision not to just believe in Jesus, but to follow Jesus? Because this whole thing gets started in chapter nine with Jesus telling his disciples for at least the second time where this is headed. He's going to Jerusalem. He is the Messiah. He's the one that you've been waiting for, but this isn't gonna go down the way you think it is. When I get to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be crucified. Nobody expected the Messiah to do that. Big surprise, newsflash. But then here's, here's what he says to them. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, the cross isn't just one of, if not the most important historical event in the universe. The cross is a way of life. It's how you and I continue what God started in and through Jesus Christ. It's how we advance the kingdom of God. It's how we bring heaven to earth by not only believing in what Jesus did on the cross, but by embracing the way of the cross, living a sacrificial, self-giving, cruciform kind of life. So that's what the next six weeks are gonna be about. You and I, we're gonna wrestle with what does it mean to not only place our faith, our belief in what happened on the cross, what does it mean to live it out on a daily basis? Because that's what Jesus has called us to. That being said, let's jump into it, right? Let's go to the text. Jump in there, Luke, Luke chapter nine, verse 51. You still out there? Anybody want to go home? Too bad we locked the door. Luke chapter nine, verse 51. Here's how this whole thing starts. You ready? It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, more literally, it says this, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. 
So the image here is of him, maybe he's teaching with the disciples, he's walking along, whatever, but he has this moment, he realizes, you know what? It's time. And he turns himself south towards Jerusalem and he begins to head in that direction. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. He knows what's there. It's been, it's been revealed to him. Now this, this phrase, set, set your face, it was a Jewish expression that was used on a regular basis and it meant extreme determination. Somebody set their face to something, there was no going back. They were all in. They had made up their mind. This is what had to happen. This is the direction I'm headed in. There's no going back. Jesus had resolved himself to head to the cross and he had to. Remember, Jerusalem was, was the center of the religious power, the political power. And he knew that his message, his mission was gonna provoke that power so much so that he would eventually be crucified. He was gonna die. He resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Here's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. Have you, have you set your face to Jerusalem? Have you resolutely made up your mind to not only believe in Jesus as savior, but to follow Jesus as Lord, to take up your cross and to follow him? One question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Because here's the first thing we can learn about the way of the cross. It's all or nothing, folks. It's all or nothing. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, then we are at the same time saying no to everything else that would try and have a say over who we are and how we should live. And the claim of the early church, you know what it was? Jesus is Lord. That was an incredibly provocative, incredibly political statement because guess what one of the biggest propagandas that floated around the Roman world was? Caesar is Lord. And the Jesus, the Jesus followers come along and say, you know what? No, I don't care how big your armies are. I don't care how, how much you spin it. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And many of them lost their life for it. Man, the kingdom of God demands our total, our total allegiance, complete allegiance. When we say yes to Jesus, we're at the same time saying no to everything else, everyone else. It's, it's like the moment when I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Lindsay Jeffries Cunningham. Hubba hubba. Man, it, it had like got to that point in the relationship where it had to like be something or we both had to go our separate ways. You know what I mean? You're kind of dating and having a good time, but it's like, are you committed? Or are you not committed? And so, you know, I kind of had to make a decision. Do I, do I want to keep going with this or am I just wasting our time? And, and see, up to this point, Lindsay and I, I mean, I, I saw her heart. She was a beautiful person. Like, she, she, you know, she cared about people. I thought it was great. Shared a lot of the same values. I'll be honest, she's really fun to look at. But I needed to know one thing. I needed to know that we could have fun together. Like, that was the thing I felt like I was missing. Because if you've met my wife, you know, at first she's a bit shy. We have a lot in common. We're so much alike there, right? It was a joke. She's a little shy, but I'll never forget this one night. We decided to go on a date to Greenville, right? And, and on our way up there, we're driving in the car, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, her song comes on the radio. I remember what it was. It was like her song. 
at that time. And she reaches over and cranks the volume up. And out of nowhere, she starts playing like the most incredible air drums I've ever seen in my life. I mean, she's just going at it. And I'm like, who is this person? I mean, this is just as crazy. And then I think somewhere in the middle of it, she realized that I wasn't paying attention to the road. Here's the moment. This sealed the deal. I love it. She said this to me. She said, Nick, you got to start looking at the road because I'm playing the drums. That was a horrible impression of her accent, by the way. But, but that moment was it for me. That was it. We had so much fun that night. We laughed. I had this realization that that's, she's the one. She's who I want to spend. I'm choosing today, deciding I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I also had this crazy though awareness, this moment where I realized in order to do that, in order to have that type of exclusive, lifelong, committed relationship with her, it meant from that point on, I was saying no to everybody else. Here's the bottom line, folks. You can't be married to Jesus and date other people. The call of the cross, it's all or nothing. Jesus demands total allegiance. And you know what? That's really hard for us here in America where we Christianize everything. We slap a Christian label on all sorts of things. I'll be honest, aren't very Christian. I mean, many of us, if we're really honest, we're Christian by circumstance. We were born into it. We showed up one day going to church. And so there's no real sense of man, commitment there. It's like, it's like how the flu shot works. We, did, we didn't get the flu shot this year. Four out of five people got the flu in my family. Chances are I might get the flu shot next year. I don't know. But you ever, it's interesting how the flu shot works. You know what they do? They inoculate you. They give you a little bit of the flu, just a little bit. And your body builds up immunities and resistance to the whole thing. Man, so many of us, we're inoculated to the gospel. We grow up and we get just a little bit of it. It makes us resistant to the whole thing. And so we love professing the beliefs about Jesus, the things about Christianity we love. But when it comes time to actually put the rubber, where the rubber on the road, practice it, hmm, different story. We love the idea of forgiveness, don't we? Until we're the ones that have to extend it. And we, we want to see the world different. We want to see the world change. We want to see things, things better than they are until it, revol- it requires our, our sacrifice sacrificing our security, our comfort, then we're not so sure anymore. And we know it's better to be generous, be compassionate until you're asking us to give up our time and our resources. Then, I don't know, become inoculated to the gospel. And and what we have to understand is that Jesus Christ demands our total allegiance, requires that we put him before and in between everything, even the good stuff, even what our culture might call noble, what might seem good and honorable. Jesus even demands that he comes before that. We love to talk about how Jesus calls us away from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Those are the bad stuff. But I would argue the other stuff's even harder. The things that our culture says is good and honorable. I mean, for instance, go go, go back to Luke with me. Chapter 9. Verse 57, Jesus has these encounters, right, with these would-be disciples. And every single one of them, they they profess this belief in Jesus, this desire to want to follow him. But when it comes time to it, they don't for whatever reason. Like the first one comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your boy. I'm going to be with you. And Jesus says back to him, oh, that's good. That's great. But guess what? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is what it means to be a part of what I'm doing. 
I don't own anything. Jesus is completely at the mercy of God's provision, at the generosity of others. For some of us in this room, that makes us uncomfortable. Jesus sounds like a freeloader here. It's like, get a job, Jesus. Mooch. There's no record of this guy following him after that. Tell me, is there anything wrong with owning a house? Is there anything wrong with being hardworking? Providing for yourself? Putting a roof over? No, nothing wrong with that, is there? Jesus demands that he comes even before that. The second one, this is crazy. Jesus actually initiates the whole thing. He says, hey, come follow me. This guy says, oh, I'd love to follow you. I'm planning on following you, but first let me go and bury my father and then I'll come follow you. I'm like, of course, sure, that, that makes sense to me. Go bury your father, then, then you can come follow me. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He says to him, let the dead bury the dead. What? And I've seen people work really hard to try to clean this up and make, make Jesus sound nice. He's not being nice. This would have been so offensive, particularly in a culture where honoring your family was like priority number one. This is what made you a good Jewish guy. This is what made you an upstanding member of society. You honored your family, particularly when they died. There's like a two-phase process in the ancient world that came to dealing with the deceased. When they, first, when they would first die, there wasn't a big ceremony. It wasn't a whole lot of celebration. You'd bury the person in a shallow grave. You let them decompose for up to a year. And then, and then at the end of the year, after you've mourned and you've grieved, they took that very seriously as Jewish folks, you would take the remains, put them in a box, and then you'd have a big public ceremony where you would honor your family. So this is essentially what, what this man's asking for. Jesus, I'm obligated, culturally obligated to have this funeral for my dad. And if I don't, how's that gonna make me look? And what does Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. I come even before that. And the third one, again, he comes to Jesus. Jesus, I wanna follow you. I'm gonna go wherever you go. I'm gonna be on board 100%. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Again, I'm like, what? Of course, of course, go say goodbye to your family. It makes perfect sense. You don't just abandon everybody. I mean, is it a bad thing? No. What's Jesus say to him? And anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking right now? Jesus, I thought the point was to get more followers. You're scaring everybody away. What's crazy to me is every one of these things are good. They're noble. They're honorable. They're respectable. This is not Jesus calling people away from the devil. He's calling them away from some of the highest held values, priorities, practices of their culture. Jesus' desire that he comes before and between everything else in our lives, even the good stuff. And I, I really wrestled this past week. Like, what does this look like for us? How does this translate to our day and age, right? What would this look like? And it's, it's hard for us to see that sometimes. Like we get so immersed in a culture, right? Where we live, we grow up in it, we breathe the air, all of that, that it becomes hard for us to really become critical of it because we don't know any, anything else. It's like how a fish doesn't really recognize the water it's swimming in, right? And so I prayed hard. I said, God, show me, what, what does this look like for us? How does this translate today? You know, you know what came to mind? Y'all gonna get mad at me. Here's what came to mind. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Here it is. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This comes from the Declaration of Independence. 
We've been given these unalienable rights to life, to liberty, and to the pursuit of happiness. And whether we're aware of it or not, this, this forms the American psyche. I mean, these are the assumptions, the baseline assumptions that make Americans Americans. I have the right to defend my life. I have the right to do what I want. And I've got the right to be happy. The base of our psyche, of how we live and, and the choices that we make and what we value and what's important. Now, some of you right now are getting really uncomfortable. Maybe you're starting to feel like a little fire in your belly. He is not dissing the Declaration of Independence. You commie, right? Calm down, right? If you're having an emotional response, just, just relax, okay? But I also think if we're finding ourselves offended by this, it might be a sign of how deep these assumptions have gone. And I, I wanna say something. I wanna make this very, very clear. I am not dissing the Declaration of Independence. I mean, politically speaking, it's probably most, one of the most incredible documents ever written by human beings. It's amazing. I'm a huge fan of America. Hear me when I say that. Big fan of America. I wouldn't wanna live anywhere else. And I would argue that all three of these things are good things. These are things that a government should provide for their people. But as a follower of Jesus, to become a core value in terms of how I live my life, the choices that I make, what I think is important, there are times where my commitment to Jesus, to the way of the cross, will call even them into question. Right to my life, to defend my life, to protect myself, my comfort, my security, hmm. What's Jesus call us to do with our lives? To lay them down. I just wonder how much of our energy and effort though is spent on trying to protect our interests, to keep ourselves safe. Let me tell you one thing, following Jesus isn't safe. I mean, Jesus says to his disciples, if you're gonna follow me, this, is, this might get you crucified. Just take up your cross and follow me. We over-spiritualize that today. But Jesus' disciples at any point in time could probably look up on the horizon to see somebody hanging on a cross. They knew what they were getting into. Following Jesus isn't safe. And when it comes to making decisions and priorities, how much of it is about trying to protect ourselves and our security? We'll only go so far until it starts to hurt. Or liberty, the right to choose what I want, right? My preferences, my agendas, I can do what I want as long as nobody else is getting hurt. This is liberty. Again, this is a good thing, isn't it? Government should provide this for people. But as a, as a person who is bought into the way of the cross, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm not calling the shots anymore. It's not my agenda. It's not my beliefs. It's the priority of the kingdom. And frankly, I'm so tired of seeing Jesus waved around by different political groups. It's like he's some sort of flag or something. Jesus is not a flag. He's the Lord of the world, Lord of the universe. And what we often do is we try to cram Jesus into our own little worldview, don't we? This is how I see the world, how I want things to go. Now, Jesus blessed this for me. It's not how it works. Instead, what we need to be doing is allowing Jesus to wreck our worldview. For him to determine that. He refers to himself as a stumbling stone. He says, if you're going to follow me, you'll be broken to pieces. I found that's a pretty good thing to allow Jesus constantly to search me and to know me. What other allegiances do I have? Who else have I bought into? Man, pursuit of happiness, that one's easy, isn't it? Again, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. We should be allowed to do that. But we live in a culture that worships happiness. When it comes time to make decisions, what do we ask ourselves? Which one makes us happier? 
if I want it, I can afford it, I should buy it, right? It's gonna make me happy. If I'm in a marriage right now and it's getting difficult, what's gonna determine if I stay? Well, what, what, what will make me more happy? Stay in it, stick it out, or leave? Again, my commitment to Jesus Christ calls all of these, and they're good things, they're honorable things, calls them into question. And Jesus demands that he comes before and he comes in between everything else, including the good things. We gotta hear this, folks. We gotta hear this. If we're gonna say yes to Jesus, it means we simultaneously say no to everything else. That we're trying to lay a claim on our hearts, trying to tell us who we are and how we should live. And what we have to understand is Jesus isn't doing this so that we'll be miserable. <laughs> that's not his goal. That's not, that's not what he's after. But Jesus demands that we come, he comes in between the cross. Picture this. I like this visual. The cross should stand in between us and everything else and everyone else. Because here's why. Jesus knows that the human heart's an idol factory. And what we often try to do is find life from these things. We look to these things to tell us who we are, to give us worth, value, and meaning. Guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've talked to so many men lately. This has been a, a conversation I've had over and over again. I'm just really fascinated by it. But there's, there's a lot of men and, and, and they're starting to get interested, you know, in the things of faith and they're, they're coming around church more and they're, they're really getting excited about all this. They're going to some church activities and events and then they go back to their job and they, and they feel sort of empty from it. You know, they, they, they can't stand their job. I mean, if I ask a show of hands, how many guys in here love their job? And so the assumption is, I've got to get a different job. I've got to find something that gives me more meaning, more purpose, more value. That may be true. Hear me when I say that may be true. But I'll tell you what, if you're trying to find your meaning and your worth and your purpose and your value from what you do, you're going to jump, jump from job to job. Sign up for what I do. You'll like it for about six weeks. You'll be back to feeling the same way. See, often what we do when Jesus doesn't stand in between us and other things, other people, often what we do is we put our hands around that thing's throat and we demand it to give us something that it can't give us. Fill in the blank. What is it for you? Is it your marriage? Your spouse is not your God. I'm sure you've got issues to work through, but the first one is this. They can't deal with that emptiness you feel inside of yourself. If you're going to get anywhere, you got to deal with that first. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe, maybe it's your life plans, your goals, how you think things should turn out. I'm telling you, if you're squeezing that thing for life, you're going to end up in the same place. Disappointed. Jesus calls us away from all of these things. He demands that he stands in between all of these things. Because he knows there's only one place you're going to get life from. You know where it is? It's cross. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. I mean, those of us who have done this, right? Here's what we discover. Here's what we discover. Is that not only is the call, of the call of the cross, is it all for everything? Or all for all or nothing? We also discover this, it's all for everything. Man, we give up all that we have and we receive God's everything in return. And Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of God's like a man who finds a buried treasure in a field. And he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field. And he goes away with great joy. See, the people who have done this, the people who have placed the cross in between themselves and all of these things, fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. You know what they discover when they do that? 
is that they finally manage to put enough distance in between themselves and these other things, they can actually enjoy them. When you stop demanding your job to give you life and meaning, guess what? You can actually enjoy your job. When you stop demanding your spouse to deal with that void, you start to enjoy your spouse. And we realize that God is the source of all of our life, our worth and our meaning. And we can enjoy everything else for what it truly is. Not a replacement for God, but a gift from God. And this is my story. I've, I've discovered this. That man, you give up everything, you give up all you have, you get everything in return. And where my commitment to the kingdom of God, to following Jesus has not been easy, it has not been easy. It's involved, involved a lot of sacrifice, a whole lot of hard work. You know what? It's been worth it. It's been worth it. I've discovered my true identity, who I am in Jesus Christ. It's not defined by you, what you think about me. It's not defined by how much I've accomplished what I achieved, what I've accumulated, I'm defined by a God who loves me regardless, despite all these things. Now, if I'm honest with you, I struggle with insecurity. I'm probably one of the most insecure people that you know. But I've been given the tools to deal with this stuff. And I'm experiencing freedom from it, growth. Same time, you know how cool it is to know that my life is a part of something bigger than myself? I'm a part of something that matters, that's shaping the world. I mean, committing to the way of cross has also taught me perseverance. Jesus promised, he never promised, he never promised that life would be easy. In fact, he promised us this, if you're doing it my way, it's gonna be hard. But he gives us the strength to keep going. And I've watched him time and time again take somebody's biggest shame, biggest failure, all the ways they've blown it, and I've watched him use it to give other people hope, to change the world. Our God wastes nothing. And here's what I've come to find is that everything Jesus calls us away from, it was only gonna destroy us in the first place. And he invites us to find life in the only place that we're gonna ever find it. In this God who reveals to us who he is by giving his life away on a cross. And so, like I said, as we begin this Lenten journey, you're gonna be asked right now to respond to this. In fact, I'm gonna ask all of you to stand up right now. Stand up. See, there are some decisions that you and I can make sitting in our seats, right? That's fine. We can make the decision. Then there are some decisions that we make that require us to put some skin in the game. They require us to actually do something, to move our bodies. I believe this is one of those decisions. And here in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, to come down here at the front, to stand up here. If you feel like today what you want to do is you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to say yes to Jesus. And maybe this is yes for the first time, right? Maybe you've never done that before. Why not here? Why not now? You're already standing up, by the way. You're halfway there. Then there are some of us in this room, and maybe, maybe what, we're, what we're, we're feeling is we're tired of having one foot in and one foot out. I mean, for us, Jesus Christ has just been one of many things. And what you want to do this morning is you want to declare that Jesus Christ is your one and only thing. You're turning away from lesser gods, lesser lords. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come forward as well. Or maybe you're here today and, and you said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but then you blew it. <laughs> you blew it. What I love about this passage we've been looking at is right in the middle of Jesus making these incredible demands, you have the disciples blowing it. 
and it doesn't disqualify them from being disciples. So stop disqualifying yourself. And what matters is you receive God's grace, you repent from it, you get back up and you head towards Jerusalem. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You've allowed some sense of guilt and shame to run your life long enough. No more, no more. This morning, you're getting back in the game. This is, this is you where you're at. I'm gonna invite you to come forward right now. Come down to the altar. I wanna pray over you. If this morning is about you saying yes to Jesus for whatever reason, you feel like now's the time to say yes to Jesus. I'll tell you this, folks. If you can't do it in here, you're not gonna do it out there. So this morning, if this is a decision you have to make, come forward. I'm gonna pray with us here in a moment. I'm gonna give you a little while. Come down. Come forward. going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to pray over y'all. And then here in a moment, we're going to put a prayer up on the screen that I want us to all pray together. This is a prayer of commitment. And I think it says it beautifully. What does it mean this day in this moment to stop following Jesus simply as, as a believer and to begin to follow Jesus as a disciple, to pattern our lives after who he is and what he's done. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the people who have, who have made this decision to come forward. I thank you for the folks who haven't walked down but have still have made this decision in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you remind us of the fact that you love us. The gospel begins as a declaration of your love, your grace, and your acceptance. I pray you make that real for all of us in this room. And then Lord, I pray for this. I pray that you mess us up. Pray that you search our hearts. Help us to recognize and reveal the other lords, the other influences that we have been listening to. And Lord, help us to say wholeheartedly, yes. Say yes to you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing in these people's lives. Lord, I ask that you use it to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Now all of us, let's, let's say this prayer. We're gonna put up on the screen, but I wanna, I wanna finish by saying this together. And do me a favor, say it like you mean it. Make these words yours. Don't let them bounce off of you. These are powerful. Let's pray this together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Now say it like you mean it. Amen. Can we celebrate? Let's celebrate. Come on.